Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Braxton Hunter, and this is Trinity Radio. And today we're going to be talking about some sensitive topics, but I think we're going to be discussing them in a way that might surprise you. Uh, we're not talking about them in the most controversial way, but there are some philosophical underpinnings to what is going on in the world right now that I think we need to bring to the surface and think about. This is not the most important uh, video you're going to watch on um, the issues related to race and the issues related to the coronavirus right now, but it, it's an opportunity for us to take a look at human nature and how we understand what's actually going on anthropologically. And if we don't get that, I think it can have negative consequences. Basically, we're going to talk today about the nature of human freedom. I've talked about that a lot on this show. It's been a big part of my personal study. But as these things have been going on, the coronavirus and um, the, the protests and things like that, um, in the midst of all of that, I've been drawn back into a, a, a deeper study of the nature of human freedom. Um, some of you will know that uh, that's been a part of what I've done. Uh, years ago, I, I was more engaged with other Christians in theological discussions about the nature of human freedom. What kind of freedom does the Bible seem to present to us that we as humans have? Is everything determined by God, or did he give us what we call libertarian freedom? And um, then when I began to focus more specifically on Christian apologetics toward unbelievers, um, it got it, it, it nuanced the discussion a little bit because among unbelievers, m most atheists uh, who are naturalists are also determinists, at least the ones who are aware of these sorts of things. And so that was still an issue that needed to be discussed. And so I continued to study that, developed my own argument for God's existence on the basis of free will, brought that in a debate. And uh, then kind of, you know, have mentioned it here and there, but more or less had moved on from that a little bit. But recently I was contacted by um, another platform and asked to have a debate with a well-known atheist on the question of free will. And uh, that hasn't come out yet as of this video, but it will soon. And so look forward to that. <clears throat> but um, I, had to, I had to go a little further and study a little more on the nature of freedom specifically. And since that was going on at the same time as we're experiencing these other things in our culture and around the world right now, um, it, it, it caused me to think about things uh, in, in those philosophical terms. So before we get too much into this, let me go ahead and explain what we're talking about when we're talking about free will. For those that are already familiar with these things, maybe you just skip ahead about, mm, I don't know, a minute and a half. But I'm just going to explain real quickly what the options on the table are. So when we're talking about free will, um, we're, what many people believe they have is what is called libertarian freedom. And libertarian freedom means that nothing external to the agent, nothing external to you, determines what you will do. Now, you have influences. There are things that influence you. And when you do things, you do them for reasons. But those reasons don't force or cause you to do what you do. You really are able to make a free choice such that whatever you ended up doing, at least in most of the cases, whatever you ended up doing, you could have done otherwise. You didn't have to do that. Now, this stands opposed, that's libertarian freedom. That stands opposed to what is called philosophical determinism. 
Determinism says that, look, the history of the universe is like a chain of dominoes, just all cause and effect, one thing causing the other. And if you like, trillions of chains of dominoes, but dominoes nonetheless. And so the past history of the universe, your past life experiences, the formation of your neural structure and the firings of neurons in your brain result in what you think of as your choices. But those choices could not have been otherwise. The thoughts that you're thinking right now, your choice to listen to this video, and the next words that are going to come out of your mouth have all been determined and could not have been otherwise. That's determinism. And in determinism, um, you're, you're really, uh, though you, you are consciously experiencing all of these things, the choices that you would make were determined from centuries past, millions of years past, if philosophical determinism is true. And this raises obviously questions about morality and uh, responsibility and rationality and all these other things. And I have videos on all of those issues. In what sense are you responsible for your actions, right, if it was all determined? And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So, uh, yeah, free will, libertarian free will, or determinism. Now, some determinists who are clearly in the determinist camp are also what we call compatibilists. Compatibilism doesn't try to say that libertarian free will is compatible with determinism. But what it does say is that free will of some kind is compatible with determinism. And what they mean by this is, look, you're free to do whatever you want to do. Uh, but those wants that drive you to do whatever you want to do were determined by something else, which was determined by something else. And there we go again with the past history of the universe. So if your wants are determined for you, even though you're doing whatever you want, what you're doing is uh, determined also because it's determined by your wants. It's just a different perspective, a different way to look at determinism that allows you to use the language of free will. So you can say, I, I freely did this particular thing. And by that, you mean you weren't uh, no one took your hand and made you, you know, uh, you know, uh, grabbed your wrist and made you punch your brother's face or something. Uh, you punched your brother's face because that's what you wanted to do. But the fact that you wanted to punch your brother's face was all because of chemical reactions and brain states and all these things. So really, you really only do have determinism and free will. Um, what I want to say about this is as I've been studying these things and, and, and reading and journal articles and going a bit deeper, um, at the same time as watching these things happen in our culture. What I see happening that is problematic is uh, with the issue issues related to race that are going on and with the issue of the coronavirus, I see that the wrong understanding of human freedom, the understanding that is held by um, many atheists and, and, and some Christians, but, but I really want to focus here on uh, atheism and naturalism here. The understanding of freedom that is that is held, or I'm sorry, the understanding of humanity that is held by those people that are determinists dehumanizes people, destroys moral responsibility, and then conversely humanizes things like the coronavirus. And I'll explain with you for you in the next few minutes why I think that's that's true. But I want to say it again very clearly: it dehumanizes people, destroys moral responsibility and actually humanizes things like the coronavirus. And I think that this is to get it completely backwards from the nature of reality, not only that we intuit, but it wouldn't make sense of the protests that are taking place. It wouldn't make sense of what's going on around the world as we're thinking about all of these things. And so I want, I want to focus in on that for just a moment. So how does it dehumanize people? 
Well, Dan Barker, who uh, wrote the book, um, wrote his, he has a book on free will and, uh, and he's a compatibilist, although he calls himself an a-compatibilist. And what he, what he's saying about this is he's saying, look, I'm a determinist, but free will is a social convention. It's like marriage or like a game of chess or whatever. It's something that we as humans kind of, it, it kind of emerges from our social structures. So there's really not such a thing as free will. And we need to be pretty open about that, but we can still talk about free will. We can still hold people responsible. We can still, so, so that when a particular person engages in a crime, let's say a, a racially violent crime, um, this individual uh, at some level couldn't help it, right? Because they were determined. They were determined by the past history of the universe. But of course, we're going to hold them responsible for that. Because even if they aren't really responsible, and how could they be if all their actions, and all their thoughts, and all their beliefs were determined? Um, even if they weren't responsible for that, we're going to hold them responsible because they were the agent that took the action. They may not be the ultimate source of those actions because it was all determined, but they are the immediate source. They're the ones that just now did that. And so we're going to hold them responsible. Now, um, in fact, one of the reasons he thinks we should do this on page 92 of his book on free will, he says, quote, that this is a large part of what it means to be a human being, free will. Free will is a large part of what it means to be a human being. And I think we all agree, and certainly I would agree. It's the thing that makes sense of our moral inclinations. It's the thing that makes sense of justice and our justice systems around the world. It's the thing that makes sense of the strong intuition that we have free will, and it allows for us to have justified knowledge about that we can make justified knowledge claims. Because in thinking through what we're going to believe and what we're going to say and what things we should accept as true, we can really choose the best ones that make the most sense. And in that way, we can reason and be rational. It is, I agree with him, quote, a large part of what it means to be a human being. Of course, Dan Barker's um, answer to this is, well, we just have to pretend that it's real. Now, to my mind, if you're going to say that free will is a large part of what it means to be a human being, and then say, but it's all pretend, you're pulling the carpet right out from under yourself, and it is horribly dehumanizing to human beings. It is to treat human beings, well, in, in Barker's case, as a compatibilist, or as he calls it, an a-compatibilist, it's to pretend that they are meaningful, that they're meaningfully making choices. But what you're actually saying under the hood, because this is his admitted position, is determinism, is they're not actually responsible for the things they do. Um, the racially violent racial hater isn't really responsible in any ultimate sense. He couldn't help it. He couldn't do otherwise. I mean, that is what determinism means. And this is dehumanizing because it treats individuals um, as though they are merely chemical reactions. They're just, they're just part of the chain of dominoes. And it doesn't matter that they experience the conscious, uh, they, they are the conscious experiencers of being one of the dominoes that falls over. They had no control and they couldn't have done otherwise. Um, this gets, uh, by the way, this also causes a problem for praise. Whenever uh, someone is, uh, does something wonderful, like build wells for thirsty people in developing world countries, um, they, they didn't, they shouldn't be praised. I mean, you can praise them if you want, but they, they didn't, they couldn't have done otherwise. It's not like they did this in a sacrificially obvious way when they didn't have 
to because they did have to. They were determined to in that sense. Well, Barker's response to this is, even though all that's true, we're going to pretend. We're going to pretend. I don't know that he would phrase it that way, but we're going to pretend that it's all real and uh, treat people morally responsible uh, because that's the best we can do pragmatically. It's important to society. Um, it gets a little more stark when you go with someone who doesn't hold to the language of compatibilism, someone like uh, Sam Harris. Sam Harris, in his book on free will, gives an example that I think makes this very, very clear. He actually gives five different cases of a person who ends up killing a young woman or another person. But we're going to, I'm just going to focus on the last two. So here are the, here are the last two examples that he gives. All right, a 25-year-old man who had been raised by wonderful parents and never abused intentionally shot and killed a young woman he had never met just for the fun of it. Okay, so now notice he said a 25-year-old man who has been raised by wonderful parents. In other words, he, he wasn't intentionally abused during his childhood. There's nothing about his upbringing that, that we can blame this on somebody else. Shot and killed a young woman he had never met. So he doesn't have, it's important that he never met her because he doesn't, it's not like she went out and cheated on him, which is another one of his examples. He's got no, you know, motivation. Like it's, this is not a crime of passion in that sense, but he killed her just for the fun of it. Okay. Uh, that's pretty rough. Now compare that with the, with the second example that he gives a 25 year old man who had been raised by wonderful parents and never abused intentionally. So same thing shot and killed a young woman. He had never met same thing. Just for the fun of it, same statement, except for this. An MRI of the man's brain revealed a tumor the size of a golf ball in his medial prefrontal cortex, a region responsible for the control of emotion and behavioral impulse. So the, the difference is both circumstances are the same. What the killer says in both statements, in both situations, is the same. Background is the same. Relationship to the woman, namely there isn't one, is the same. The thing that's different is that where the, the man in the first example seems to have a, a, a normal functioning brain, the man in the second example has a tumor the size of a golf ball at exactly the part of the brain that would uh, control emotion and behavioral impulses such that if the tumor wasn't there, this probably wouldn't have happened. Now, Harris says, in each case, a young woman died, and in each case, her death was the result of events arising in the brain of another human being. But the degree of moral outrage we feel depends on the background conditions described in each case. Um, and, and then he, he talks a little bit about the, the first couple of examples that we didn't cover. In, but, but then when he gets to the last two, the ones that we covered, in the first, there, had, there has been no abuse, and the motive brands the perpetrator a psychopath, right? He's, he's a psychopath. But in the second case, that case involves the same, same psychopathic behavior and motive, but a brain tumor somehow changes the moral calculus entirely. Given its location, it seems to divest the killer of all responsibility for his crime. And it works this miracle, even if the man's subjective experience was identical to that of the psychopath in the first case. For the moment, we understand that his feelings had physical cause, a brain tumor. We cannot help seeing him as a victim of his own biology. How can we make sense of these gradations of moral responsibility when brains and their background influences are in every case and to exactly the same degree the real cause of a woman's death? Now, 
I want you to think about these two examples that Harris presents us with. And you've got two guys who killed a girl that they didn't know. These are guys that have a good upbringing, but in one case, we hold them, we, we think of them as morally responsible. Um, someone might want revenge against them. Uh, at the very least, we might want to, uh, you know, re, you know, distribute re, retributive justice or something, or at the very least, lock them up, right? There, there's serious consequences, and we blame them. That's the important key. We blame that individual. But when another individual does exactly the same thing under the same circumstances, but there's a brain tumor there that affects things, we feel more sympathy. We recognize this wasn't really him. This was the result of a tumor that was causing this to happen. Now, people like you and me, if you're a libertarian, can understand this and we say, yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? But if you are committed to determinism, understand the situation. It's not as clear as that. The situation is that in one case, the, the case of the person with the brain tumor, he was doing what he was determined by his brain chemistry to do. In the case of the person without the brain tumor, he was determined by his brain chemistry to do exactly what he did. In both cases, the individual was determined, and in neither case could the individual do otherwise. There is the assumption that the person with the brain tumor was somehow inhibited such that he couldn't exactly do otherwise because he wasn't thinking right, whereas the other individual could have done otherwise. But understand if determinism is true, both of these men are just experiencing chemical reactions in brain states. They're both just dominoes. So if you want to say something like, well, you know, uh, the, the person with the brain tumor uh, couldn't have done otherwise, Let's just say the person with the brain tumor, 150% couldn't do otherwise. And the person without the brain tumor, 100% couldn't do otherwise. But in both cases, it makes no sense. The individual couldn't have done otherwise because they were determined. So if you don't hold the person with the brain tumor responsible, you shouldn't be holding the person without the brain tumor responsible because both were determined to do exactly what they did. What this means is both individuals are just chemical reactions. They're just um, bags of chemical reactions in that sense, and it dehumanizes them. People aren't praiseworthy. People aren't blameworthy. People aren't the originators of their actions. It dehumanizes people to the degree that if you're the kind of person who looks at the violent racial hater without a brain tumor, okay, uh, the violent racial hater who does some violent act because they're racist, does this act, and you say, and, and, and you want to say about them, and you strongly feel that they, the reason we are upset about this, the reason we are speaking out, the reason we are crying out is because that individual could have done otherwise. If you believe that, like I believe that, then you believe in libertarian freedom. But if you're a determinist, you're committed to the, to the idea that they couldn't help it. At some level, they couldn't help it. It was all determined and it could not have been otherwise. Likewise, when you look at someone who is a, an incredible uh, liberator of a group of people or someone who stands up for certain rights or someone who is a philanthropist and uses everything that they have to benefit others, that person is dehumanized as well. They don't deserve to be praised because they were determined and they could not have done otherwise. Praise and blame go out the window. This is incredibly dehumanizing incredibly dehumanizing. Um, so I think that this is a very important thing for us to keep in mind. Um, and the only way that Barker, for example, who's the compatibilist determinist here, can save the day is to say that's true. But 
we're going to pretend that it's not true. Um, that's a tough spot to be in. That's a tough spot. So it dehumanizes individuals. It doesn't make sense of what we see going on in our nation right now, where libertarian freedom does make sense of that. Freedom is not just a nice window dressing for these sorts of discussions that are happening right now around the world and in our country. These, it, is the, it is very much embedded in the philosophy of what we're discussing. Um, it dehumanizes people, but it also humanizes other things like the coronavirus. For example, um, not that not that uh, determinism actually allows for humanizing of anything, but but it results in. Um, well, let me just give you an example. In an article uh, that was that is called um, "Humanizing the Coronavirus as an Invisible Enemy in Nature," Beth Daly writes: President Donald Trump has called the coronavirus an invisible enemy. That's, quote, brilliant and, quote, tough and smart, adding that we are, quote, tougher and smarter than a virus. I certainly hope so. CNN host Chris Cuomo, recovering from the virus, attributed malicious intent to it, saying it, quote, wants us to lay down. It does. It wants us to lay down. He warned his audience not to cooperate. Other people called the coronavirus, quote, sneaky, tricky, merciless, cruel and vicious. One reporter wrote that in a nursing home, the virus, quote, found the people who were most frail. Speaking of the coronavirus as if it were a person then is common. But why do we all do it despite knowing that the virus is just a tiny bundle of inanimate genetic material? That's what Beth Daly says. Why would we think of it when we know that it's just genetic? It's just a bundle of genetic material. Why would we treat it like a human? Now, I frankly understand the sort of poetic and metaphorical way that these individuals are talking about the coronavirus, and I don't see a problem with it, really. Um, it makes sense, you know, at, on, on some level, anthropomorphizing like that um, could be motivational. But, but what I, so that I don't have a, necessarily a problem with that, but I want you to key in on the last thing that Daly says here. Um, why do we all do it despite knowing that the virus is just a tiny bundle of inanimate genetic material? Understand that if determinism is true, all human beings are, are slightly or somewhat larger bundles of genetic material. Um, we're just chemicals in motion. It's just atoms in motion. In fact, um, that's all atheism allows, naturalistic atheism allows for. But certainly that's how determinism ends up treating the situation. So it's dehumanizing to individuals and humanizing to the coronavirus. Determinism gets the whole picture upside down in a way that I think devalues and um, delegitimizes what we're seeing in our culture right now. Now, you might just think, well, that's the best we can do. And I know I'm going to have comments in the comment section saying, after all, science has shut the door on free will. And you're just saying you don't like it, Braxton. But I think that's a little bit premature. One of the books that I read recently um, in, in uh, preparation uh, for this discussion that I recently had with this uh, well-known atheist is I read a book by um, a man named Alfred Mele, and uh, he is um, all over the, uh, the book, The Oxford um, Handbook of Free Will, which is an incredible and comprehensive work on free will. It's expensive, but it's worth your time if you're interested in these subjects and want to go deeper. But Mele wrote a book himself, and uh, that book was 
also by Oxford University Press, and it's called Free, Why Science Has Not uh, Disproven Free Will. And what he does in the book is he goes through all the neuroscience studies to try and show that they don't disprove free will as people thought that they did. In fact, he says in the preface, when Mark Twain spotted a newspaper account of his death, he drolly announced the truth. The report of my death was greatly exaggerated. Reports of the death of free will are in the same boat, Melee says. And throughout the book, he shows the problems with famous experiments like the now very famous uh, Libet experiments, which are supposed to show that all of our choices are made unconsciously, and other psychological and neuroscience studies. In fact, it was because of the sort of things that Melee points out that there was actually, and I've mentioned this before on the show, there's actually a, um, a, an article you can look up in a study from 2018, a study uh, of neuroscience findings, the impact of a landmark neuroscience study on free will, a qualitative analysis of articles using Libet and colleagues' methods. And um, what, what the interviewer uh, said about this was, uh, or got out of the, um, of the researchers was, we found that interpretation of study results appears to have been driven by the metaphysical position the given author or authors subscribe to, not by a careful analysis of the results themselves. Basically, those who opposed free will interpreted the results to support their position and vice versa. Meanwhile, the journal articles that drew the most forceful conclusions often didn't even address the neural activity in question, which means their conclusions were based on speculation. It is crucial to critically examine whether the methods used actually support the claims being made. So if you think that science has shut the door on this, um, it's simply not the case. Uh, also, uh, others of you have thrown at me in the past, and I know this is a big problem for you, this idea that we can't have free will because either we have determinism or if there's nothing determining what happens, you have indeterminacy or randomness or arbitrariness. And in neither case do you have free will. In the case of determinism, it was determined. And in the case of randomness and arbitrariness, it, the agent themselves wouldn't even necessarily know what they were going to do. Now, I've tried to respond to this before by, uh, by the way, this is called in the literature the intelligibility problem. It's, it's, discussed, it's been discussed quite a bit. It's not like this is any news to libertarians. And um, uh, there are responses to that that I'm going to discuss or will be discussed in the, um, in, in the uh, debate that I have that, that is going to come out very soon. So I don't want to say too much about it now, but I, but I will say this. The answers that are given are elements of indeterminacy that serve as ingredients in the mixture of our choosing process, agent causation, as well as some other things. But understand, the idea is, in all of these responses, is that, look, when we make a choice, um, it's, it's the agent determines what happens. The agent determines the choice that they're going to make. It's self-determined in that sense. It's not random. It's not arbitrary, though there may be some indeterminacy involved that allows for this. And um, when they choose, it's not as though they don't have reasons such that they don't even know what they're going to do. They have reasons. Those reasons are just not causal. Now, obviously, that'll be unpacked more in the, in the discussion, the debate. So if you're watching this months from now, then just go look for that discussion in our debates playlist. But the intelligibility problem is not a deal breaker either. So when you hear atheists and, and even perhaps some Christians speak about this as though it's a slam dunk that you just don't have libertarian free will, we just have to give up on that. That is vastly premature, and I think that's important uh, to mention. 
In the end, neither determinism or compatibilism consistently answers the questions here that we have and what's going on in our culture. Um, in the case of, uh, you know, let, let, so the compatible, let's say you have a woman who cheats on her husband and then he leaves her and for the rest of her life, she's regretting this. She is on anxiety and depression pills, perhaps, perhaps at sometimes she's suicidal. I mean, it, it just, it has really hurt her life. What does the compatibilist say about this? The compatibilist says, um, she couldn't have done otherwise, but we're going to talk about our actions as though they're free. I submit to you that if you really believe determinism is true, that's a bit cruel because she could learn from the gospel of determinism that she doesn't have to feel as bad about having cheated on her spouse as she does because she was actually determined to do this and couldn't have done otherwise. This could liberate her in a sense, <laughs> in the sense that she would feel um, like she didn't have to have that regret anymore. It could soften that blow. Uh, of course, this wouldn't represent what I think is the truth about the nature of reality, but it does show that compatibilists, I think, are kind of um, trying to have their cake and eat it too and are a bit um, cruel in this respect. I think it can be cruel. Uh, on the other hand, with the hard determinist who says, no, we don't even need to use the language of freedom. If you teach people that they're free on the basis of certain studies like the Vol Schooler study that show that if you tell people that they are determined, they are likely to act less morally. This is just in the literature. And so I think that's dangerous too. Um, and so what we have here is a situation where neither determinism nor compatibilism allows for a consistent reading of what's going on that makes sense of what's happening in our lives and in these major social and cultural issues that are happening in the world right now. You know what does? Libertarian freedom. Libertarian freedom makes sense of our holding people responsible for their actions. It makes sense of our holding the racial hater responsible. It makes sense of our praising uh, the individual and, and, and considering them praiseworthy when they um, do something benevolent for someone else uh, or are some sort of a, um, a mover and shaker in the civil rights movement or something. Um, it makes sense of all of these things. And it also doesn't mean we have to be, we, we don't have to be inconsistent. What would it say to our friend we just spoke about, the lady who had cheated on her husband and now she feels her life has fallen apart and she regrets? Well, the libertarian has um, some truth for such an individual that I think is good news. The hard part of it is, yes, you were responsible for what happened. You had influences, but you determined, you self-determined, you chose among your influences. But here's the thing, while that may have been a horrible part of your past, the truth is you have the freedom to choose what comes next. What's gonna happen next? And as a Christian theist, I could say to such a person, you can freely choose to come to the Lord Jesus Christ who has uh, graced you with the message of the gospel. And you can respond by believing it and trusting in him. And in fact, ultimately, I think we need the gospel right now in our world. There are many people who are struggling with coronavirus, many people dying. They need to hear the gospel. And in the midst of the divisions that we have, um, whichever side of whatever political issue you're on, the truth is we need the Lord Jesus Christ right now. And I believe you can freely choose him. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.